the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What does it look like to be political peacemakers? And then enough of me-centered worship music. You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Nor joined normally by Aubrey Sampson, but Aubrey is still on vacation. So I am joined for day three uh, with one of the pastors at Renewal Church of Chicago. His name is Steve Coble. Steve, how you doing today, bud? Doing good, man. Excited to uh, be with you guys today. Absolutely. I'm uh, I'm feeling more energetic. I think today is my last day of COVID quarantine, so... Uh, I, I'm excited to re-enter the world. I've had that like uh, guilt of watching my wife have to drive everybody everywhere and do <laughs> everything while I'm just sitting around. So uh, excited to get back into the world. And as I said, Aubrey will be back with us next week. You know, Steve, she's on vacation, I think, in Oklahoma. And I saw on the Today Show that there is nowhere in the state of Oklahoma under 100 degrees Ooh. right now. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma so. would not be the place I'm trying to be right now. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, that makes for a good vacation. I know that's where her family is from, so uh, I believe uh, that's where she is. All right, I want to start. Let's jump in deep end of the pool. Great article over Christianity Today by Bonnie Christine. It says, blessed blessed are the political peacemaker." Uh, peacemakers. Experts warn political violence is coming. Christians can look to Scripture, not the American Revolution, for guidance. And let me just sum up what this article by Bonnie Christian is about. Uh, it basically says, and we all see this around us. On the right, you got your far right, you got the militia, all the stuff you know we're seeing with the January 6 hearings and stuff. But then also on the far left, uh, rising violence on both kind of political ends of the spectrum. And the question is, in surveys, she she cites a lot of research here that says this is only going to increase, that uh, political violence may be increasing Mm. here in the United States of America. And I think we feel that. I think we see that. Um, But she wants to ask the question, if that is the case. Uh, what are we as Christians supposed to do? So uh, let me start there for you, Steve. Uh, whether it be actual violence, which is the worst of this, or just political tensions um, rising in our culture, how do we as Christ followers, uh, how should we now live and where do we get our guidance? Like, where do we get, uh, uh, what's our model for this right now? Sure. One of the things that I think of when uh, just at the title, right, I'm thinking of of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And um, oftentimes I feel like in American culture, we think of peace as uh, sweeping something under the rug or not bringing it up Mm. um, or uh, peace is the absence of conflict. And um, and so you just avoid it. Uh, You avoid the conflict is is what it means to be a peacemaker. And and 
actually what Jesus is saying there in that particular passage is uh, blessed are those who step into conflict and make things whole. Uh, mm. Blessed are people who step into conflict and help uh, uh, help kind of uh, make the situation better. And mm. and so I I don't know that that's that's what my mind goes to and and it goes to a, a sense of 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 listening to one another and uh, trying to trying to uh, be actually present in the conversation. So. Um, yeah, th- we've yeah. got to figure out ways to be present in the conversation uh, as followers of Jesus. So that's interesting because obviously the premise of our article is violence and hostility. Um, what do you think it looks like for the Christ follower to be present in the places that are important? Right. Like you said, I think you make a really great point. That peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not just sweeping everything under the rug. So entering into the hot button issues of our day. Um, what does it look like for the church to enter in, but still be different, still do it in a Christ-like way, still do it, uh, not in a violent way. Like she is talking about, do you have any thoughts about what the church, how the church can look here in the coming years, decades, however long this goes? One of the things, uh, you say yesterday was something that I thought, uh, man, that's important for everybody to know, especially for those Christians who are very active politically is that man our citizenship is in heaven uh our citizenship mm. is uh is a part of a different kingdom um america is not the promised land um and this is not our forever home we are sojourners who participate in a democratic republic in such a way that loves our neighbors as ourselves and so um mm. you know one of the things that comes to mind is just to be very proactive in terms of um not just the the sort of being out front to to uh to say hey we're against this with our signs but to uh actively participate in helping single moms to actively Mm. participate and when people ask the question what you know my and and reiterate yo like i'm not here as a follower of jesus to uh bring strife or to bring uh or to misrepresent other people's perspectives and uh, to draw straw men characters of other people's perspectives. Um, But I'm here to love my neighbor as myself in whatever way that Mm. I can do that. And so I think maybe there's some offshoots in terms of uh, the things that people are protesting that we can um, say, Hey, I'm over here doing this. This is what's important. Um, And just highlight some of those things. Uh, those are those are just a couple of things that come to mind, just championing the things that like what's the practical application of the Roe v. Wade uh, decision being changed? Like, where do where mm-hmm. do I step in there? there there's certain uh, spaces where, you know, there's there's medical language around um, when you when you think of uh, a mother having to uh, the, the baby is not viable, the doctor might say. And the or the still stillbirth, the medical terminology around uh, around those things is the actual term abortion. And so there's a number of of elements of um, things that have to change. <laughs> and I think Christians ought to be the ones to help change medical terminology to, to help step into some mm. of those those different spaces, because we, we think very high level about stuff and. 
Um, and we need to be the ground level. This is where the, the rubber hits the road, people. That's good. What is it? Uh, let, yeah, you brought up something at the beginning of this. It got me thinking because we're preaching in my church right now through the Sermon on the Mount. And I love the way you described peacemaking there. Could you unpack that just for people? Because people might think all it means is Christian's job is to pour water on all fires to make sure there's everyone's unified. Everything's good, even if it's like, you know, not dealing with the problems. Unpack what you meant there by peacemaking. Yeah. So um, the Hebrew word for peace um, in the Bible is the. Hebrew word shalom, and it means mm-hmm. it means wholeness. It means um, it means to um, make something what it ought to be, uh, what it was intended to be, and some of of the way that we understand peace, and the way we maybe even in your your family, you know, there's certain things that you just say, I'm not going to touch that because you know people get their feelings hurt and. And so I just to keep the peace, I'm going to I'm going to not say anything about that. And that's just not the biblical understanding of peace. So when we think of of the biblical understanding of peace, it's this idea of stepping into conflict, trying to understand um, and trying to come to a place where we can at least uh, get on the same page of understanding one another. Um, And yeah. And that's just not the political conversation right now, right? That's just not the, the – where every, everybody's othering one another. And I, I guess that's one of the things that that um, as peacemakers and as Christians, we have to know like, yo, I'm, I can't other people. I can't – nobody is my no, enemy. Hmm. That's a really well – Man, if we could live that way, if we could let uh, othering people, that's a really good way to put it. Nobody is my enemy. If we, if the church collectively could live that out, uh, it, it really is going to be a light and darkness, a city on a hill, uh, as is talked about later in the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, Steve, for people who haven't been with us this week, uh, remind us of uh, where do you pastor? Tell us about your family. Let's remind people who you are. Yeah, so I pastor just a stone's throw away from the United Center at Renewal Church of Chicago. I pastor with uh, a childhood friend of mine. We came to faith with one another when we were 18 and uh, were friends since we were 12. So uh, many, many years of, of friendship together. And um, like I said, we're just a stone's throw away from the United Center. And I work with an organization called the Chicago Partnership that helps connect uh, churches to support uh, one another, whether that's community engagement um, or supporting the community uh, that uh, or the neighborhood that they're particularly in, um, and then supporting mm-hmm. those pastors as well. And we do that with, with training and some financial support and, and various other ways as well. And then I work with the GRIP Outreach for Youth as a board member there, and we just help come alongside young people uh, and mentor them through Christ-centered one-on-one relationships. And uh, I'm married to Kristen, and she is a nurse mm-hmm. working at Rush uh, Hospital right now on a med surge floor. And uh, and I have one little boy named Trey, who is going to be one uh, August 2nd. But other than that, you guys don't have much going on. Not much. Not much. <laughs> Other than that, well, excited to have you with us, man. And as Steve said, he's a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm at Four Corners Community Church uh, in the Downers Grove area in Darien. And uh, so something that 
sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes it's natural. That, that one of the places that people have a lot of feelings are around worship music and the songs we choose to sing. Uh, what is the at your church at Renewal Church? I know. Um, you guys put a lot of thought into the songs you sing. So how is it done on a weekly basis? How do you guys vet songs, if you will? Is there a person who chooses, a team of people? What, what's kind of that process for you guys? Yeah, so we have uh, a worship leader who's incredibly gifted. His name is Damond Reed. Um, he's, you know, as far as music goes in, the, in Chicago, uh, most people know who he is. At least he's sung maybe background for... Uh, various people, uh, especially in like rhythm and blues and, and soul music. And, um, and so he does an incredible job. He has uh, been kind of discipled by Pastor Derek and we try to give him the freedom to think through things theologically, um, for himself. And, and then sometimes Pastor Derek will say, uh, Hey, we need to switch these songs up. We need some more, uh, we need some more music, uh, that that's focused on God and not, uh, and not me. And, um, and, and yet at the same time in a multi-ethnic context, right, we kind of embrace the, nobody's going to be happy with the worship music. We kind of, we kind of see it as like a discipleship thing. Um, whereas like if, if there's a song, if, if the whole worship set is, uh, worship songs that you really emphatically enjoy, then we haven't done our job. Um, and so we, we want to expose people to different types of music, different genres, different ways of singing, different melody. Um, and so that's, that's kind of our approach. Okay. Uh, so here I bring this up for this. Um, I'm not much of a musician, so I'll. I do love an old hymn. I love a new song, whatever. But what gets me, and you just mentioned it, and this is what this Tyler Huckabee, who's been on the show many times, he wrote at Relevant Magazine about this this week. Uh, he wrote this, enough with me-centered uh, worship. Enough with me-centered worship music. And his point was, his his thought is that a lot of the newer songs have a lot of eyes and me's, right? A lot of the older songs have a lot of uh, God language, right? You and thou and whatever else it might be. Uh, and you mentioned it, right? You said every now and then, Derek, your pastor will say to the worship leader, hey, we need we need to shift a little focus here. That's my biggest bugaboo. It's it's never about how songs sound. It's always about what they're saying, Uh and and I I have felt this lately too with a lot of songs that are like me and I uh, help people understand. People might be like, whatever. I just like a good song. Why is this a big oh, deal? Why is yeah, the, sure. how the music is centered actually something we need to think about? Yeah, I mean, so the gathered church is gathered together to worship God, and uh, even in the storyline of of redemption, in the storyline of what God is doing in the world. Ultimately, uh, it's all about his glory. And so if mm-hmm. if I have the wrong perspective of of my centrality in the storyline of of the world or re- redemptive history, we would say as pastors, um, then I get things out of whack. And if I get things out of whack, mm-hmm. then I have expectations of God that aren't true and um, and different things that I expect God is going to do for, for me personally, that, um, that if, if my focus is like my faith is about me, which is kind of, you know, what American society promotes is kind of like how you can live your best life and 
how you can figure out how to do uh, the things that you want out of life, then God becomes a means to your end and not the means uh, in himself. And so when Mm. we focus on God as the means himself, um, that's, that's the centerpiece of, of what it means to be in kind of in the right spot in terms of how God created me to function in the world and, uh, and my, what my expectations of him can be and, uh, just how, how I was created, what he created me for. And if I can understand that my purpose is in bringing him glory rather than, um, you know, getting the things that I want out of life when bad stuff happens in life, uh, which all Mm -hmm. of us know that bad things do happen in life. Now I'm not disappointed in God. I, I realize that God's, you know, we talked about this yesterday, working all things together for good. Um, mm. and so, I mean, it affects so many things. If, if you're the center of the worship experience, it, it affects, um, it affects so many things. But if God is the center of the worship experience, then, um, then everything flows the way that it's supposed to flow. That's right. That's right. Tyler writes this. He said, he talks about the book Psalm. He says, what sets these Psalms apart is that the Raiders aren't using their own writing as a mood booster. They might mourn their loneliness, confess their fear, or even uh, sit God on their enemies, but you never get the sense that they're looking in the mirror, trying to pump themselves up for the day. That was not the goal of the Psalms. It shouldn't be our goal either, because worship isn't about looking within ourselves to find strength and resolve to do better. It's about confessing our own inability to do just that. It's about taking a deliberate break from making much of ourselves something many of us could really use and making much of God instead. So I love how you put that, that when we gather corporately, we are gathering. I like to think of it as in like we're lifting each other's gaze to heaven. Mm, Like we're doing that collectively. And that's the purpose of singing. That's the purpose and, and oh, it drives me up a wall when songs are like, I feel this, God, you're this to me, you do this for me, um, this kind of self-centered approach. Uh, because you also said a self-centered approach of God and worship, when things go badly, that's going to crumble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. going to, that's going to go away. So uh, if you're a worship leader out there, give that some, I would suggest giving that more thought than how does the song sound? Or, you know, is it fast or slow? Are people clapping? Uh, What is it saying? Because uh, when we sing, we are teaching one another about God. We talk about serious stuff on this show all the time. We try to dive in. Like earlier today, we talked about political violence and what's the role of the church and the Christ follower going forward. But we do like to have some fun and laugh. And so yesterday, that fun was at the expense of Steve as uh, he admittedly did not do well in the is this a verse from the book of lamentations or a taylor swift lyric uh steve would have done better just flipping a coin because he went four (laughs) of 14 so i want to give my friend here a chance at redemption and so we're going to bring back is this a bible verse or a movie quote so not just a taylor swift lyric not just uh the book of lamentations so i think i think you're going to do better at this one uh, I, I think so. Are you I ready? Better. I just want to say before we get going, I really want somebody to look into Taylor Swift reading the Message Bible and coming up with song lyrics. Because if it's true, we might have uncovered something. Yeah, she's she's uh she's she needs to pay some royalties. 
<laughs> the the one that got you yesterday was her song that lyric that apparently says hallelujah hallelujah <laughs> i said there's no way that has to be the bible <laughs> there's there's some truth taylor swift her whole scheme might be just going message bible <laughs> lamentations that's really funny all right here we go Number one, I think this one's a little easier. I think you're going to do better today. I think I'm going to help you with your uh, so. with your self-esteem. Don't overthink them. That's what I would tell you. Here we go. I was formed before ancient times, from the beginning, before the earth began. Is this a superhero origin story or something from the Bible? Ooh. That's a superhero origin story. You are zero for one. <laughs> nope, that is. I'm like I don't know. Of, I don't uh, know of a passage where God speaks of Himself that way, but probably the prophets. Yes, uh, it is. It is in the Old Testament, and I I do have to give you a little bit of leeway here. Whereas yesterday was the message. Every now and then here they find themselves some weird translations, this or that. So you know it's meant to be fun. Here we go. Okay. Zero for one. Here we go. As God is my witness, I will never. I'll never be hungry again. As God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. I think that's a movie line. That is correct. That is from Gone with the Wind at 1939. Scarlett O'Hara, and uh, there we go. All right. Uh, You are one out of two. Before I tell you any more, I'm going to show you the greatest thing your eyes have ever beheld. He was a king and a god in the world he knew. That that's a that's a movie. That's a movie quote. I think you're right. You are correct. Okay. You know what movie that is from? Nineteen thirty three, King Kong. Jeez. Okay, King Kong. That's how they make it so right, challenging. They're right. doing movies from the thirties. <laughs> Here we go. Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Is that an actor in a movie? Or is that a biblical figure? That's an actor in a movie. Brother. All right. You're sticking to the movies here. That is correct. And that is more recent. Do you know what movie that is? The year 2000. Gladiator. That is Gladiator. All right. You're three for four. Devise a plan. It will fail. Make a prediction. It will not happen. Is that that Hollywood or is that the Bible? Bible. Doesn't that feel like the book of Proverbs? Uh, it is the Bible. It is not Proverbs. It is the book of Isaiah, but it is the Bible. Okay. You are four. See, I knew you'd do better today. Four for five. All right. There is nothing free except the grace of God. There is nothing free except the grace of God. That's a movie line. So I should help you out here. I don't know the answer to this question. I do think they're taking some luxuries. I think this might be a stretched Bible verse, but I'm, you said movie line. I'm going to go with movie for you. Here we go. Oh, it is a movie. I would have missed on that one. Okay. Uh, That is from True Grit. Man, look at you. You're five for six. A king's fury is a messenger of death, but a wise person appeases it. That's a Bible verse. That is straight out of the book of Proverbs. All right. There we go. You are six for seven. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Bible verse. You are on a roll. That is straight out of the book of Revelation. 
Uh, it does say this isn't something about Chris Hemsworth. It's about <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, you still only have one wrong. I wanted a mission, and for my sins, they gave me one. I wanted a mission, and for my sins, they gave That's me mo- one. That's a movie. That is Apocalypse Now. That is a movie. Man, you're killing it today. All right. Your your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. That's a movie. That is, in fact, one of our... I don't know. I said one of our favorite movies. I assumed it was one of yours. One of my favorite movies, Braveheart. Braveheart. All right. As for me, I am in your hands. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. Ooh. Uh, Bible verse. Correct. The book of Jeremiah. Oh, now you're just showing off. Here we go. Here's this quote. Did you know this church is in the exact center of the city? The elders decreed it so that everybody should be equally close to God. That's a movie. That is the Avengers, the age of Ultron. Okay, you are on a roll. A couple more. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant uh, lesson of all. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. Movie. That sounds like Star Wars, doesn't it? Uh, That is a movie from Doctor Strange. Okay. Uh, Let's do two more. Here you go. Do you know any prayers, my friend? Do you know any prayers, my friend? That's a that's a movie. It is a movie from the Adventures of Robin Hood. All right, last one. If no one saves us, we will surrender to you. If no one saves us, we will surrender that's to you. That's a movie as well. Oh, First Samuel chapter eleven. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll give you one more. Let's see if we can go out on a, on a high note. You've only missed two. You are you are rolling today. But I am a generous God, someone says. Another responds, you are generous as you are divine, O king of kings. I think that sounds like the movie 300 to me. Oh, my gosh, you got it exactly. We're going to end with that one. That is not just a movie. That is the movie 300. Look at you showing Man. off, calling the movie. Uh, so, Steve Kobo, we here's what we learned. You know your Bible. Maybe not your message Bible as much, but you know your Bible. You know your movies. You just don't know your Taylor Swift lyrics, and I think that's a badge of honor for you. I think that's a badge of honor. That. So, Steve – he redeems himself today with Bible or movie line. Well done, my friend. Well done. Uh, are you preaching this weekend? I'm up. I'm up. The next three weeks, You're I'm up. up. What are you preaching on? Uh, we're going to do, we're doing Old Testament stories, so I'm doing Daniel chapter three. Oh, okay. Okay. We're the other way. I'm in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount right nice. now, so that should be fun. And, uh, with that in mind here, I want I want to let you unpack something that I think is really important, something Jesus said that people talk about a lot. But uh, I was reading this just the other day, and I went, ah, you know, this would be helpful for people to think about. So let's do a little pastoral work. John chapter 15, uh, famously, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He basically says, I'm going to give you my own, you know, my own message here. 
because uh, I don't have it in front of me. He says, remain in me uh, and you will do great work. You'll produce fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. OK, um, let's pretend you were preaching that this week. Uh, what does it look like to say to even have the posture that Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And then I'm going to ask you, what's it mean to remain in him? But uh, to even have a a view of life that says he's the vine, we are the branches. Unpack that for us a little bit. What's that even look like? Yeah, I mean, Jesus' parables are so powerful and story is so incredibly powerful because it has there's so many layers and so many elements that um, you could incorporate and, and talk more about. But one of the things that comes to mind for me, um, and I can just relate this to my own personal life, uh, Galatians 3 verse 3 talks about how uh, Paul is speaking to, uh, to the Galatians. It says, you foolish Galatians, having begun by the spirit, are you now attempting to be perfected by the flesh? Um, and, and the Mm. point being that, um, their, their religious performance had become something that they were no longer doing by grace through faith. And I I think that for many of us as followers of Jesus, we look at, uh, the gospel as, all right, that's the thing that I get, that gets me started. And then I move on to kind of doing it on my own. And we know that sort of, uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, all of that kind of American jargon. Um, that Mm -hmm. we appropriate into, into Christianity. But one of the things that I had to learn for myself is that, um, instead of like when I fall flat on my face and I sin and I, uh, uh, experience the, the shame of, man, I, I'm, I've been a Christian for 10 years and I'm, I'm still struggling with this or I'm, I'm still back here with that. Um, what, what I have to rehearse and remind myself of is that in in Christ, I have been clothed with Jesus's righteousness. So that means mm. in my failure, the thing that gets me up is the fact that I'm not standing in my reputation or my performance or my belonging, but I'm standing in Jesus's performance in the things that Jesus has achieved solely on the basis of grace through faith. So that in and of itself is like, whoa, that's that's incredible. Right. And then and then you look over Romans chapter eight or you look at Galatians four and it says that not only do we get to remind and rehearse to ourselves that we uh, that we are standing in Jesus's righteousness, but we have become co-heirs with Christ and his accomplishment Mm -hmm. becomes our accomplishment, not on the basis of anything we achieved. So that in and of itself causes me to look to God as a gracious father who has kept my end of the bargain that now instead of the the acts of spiritual disciplines as duty and things I need to do for God, they become delight and and things that I get to experience that foster intimacy with God. And so when mm-hmm. Jesus is talking about abide in me and I in you, I think it's the rehearsal of who we are in Christ and what happens to us through grace through uh, by grace through faith is that we've been united to Jesus. Jesus is in us and we're in Jesus. And uh, and so, you know, when I think about abiding, right, I think of the story of Mary and Martha when Martha gets upset at Jesus. Like there's all this Mm. stuff to do. What Jesus, why won't you tell uh, why won't you tell her to come help me? And he says to Martha. And, and, and Mary's just sitting at his feet and the Bible says, listening to what he has to say. 
he says to Martha, she's doing the more important thing. That's right. That's uh, right. And the more important thing than the work of ministry or the work of stuff that we can do for God is to sit at his feet and listen to what he has to say. The thing that's going to motivate mm. and drive us to produce fruit in our lives is to sit at his feet and listen to what he has to say and to marinate, to ruminate, to uh, to to make this. I think uh, abide is the, the idea of, of uh, I think the Greek word minnow. It means to remain. Stay here. Make this your home. Um, and mm. I think it's to make the gospel our home and to, to continually and perpetually know that we have a, a proclivity to leave that, uh, to, to go off to bigger, better things. And Jesus is saying, that's no, right. this is the bigger, better thing. That's, that's such a good word. Yeah. And I know, I think in my own life and in many, uh, people out there, when we are, when we are apart from the vine and just trying to create fruit in our own lives and work and work and work and it's exhausting mm-hmm. And uh, it's just not the way, you know, I have all these dead branches in my front yard right now that I'm trying to collect because we have a tree that's kind of shedding them. And those branches are good for nothing. They're laying on the ground. They're all dried out they, because they're not connected to, to the life source. And you touched on this already, Steve, but I'd love for you. Someone's out there listening right now and they're driving and they're like, how do I do this? How do I remain? How do I abide? How do I stay connected to the vine? What what are some things that come to your mind, very practically speaking, for, you know, how do we do this? So, you know, one of one of the things is just in practice, one of the things that I think is just vitally important to us every day um, is to rehearse that truth to ourselves. Today, I'm mm. standing in Jesus's righteousness and not my own. Today, I'm a co-heir with Christ. Um, not because of anything I accomplished, but because of his grace. And, and so one of the ways that I, that I do that personally is before I get ready to the busyness of the day to check my phone, to rush, uh, to, to do whatever it's to spend those morning moments with God. Um, whether that's Mm. reminding myself of those things or, um, or it's reading a devotional, or it's um, reading a passage of scripture and and in prayer. Um, those are ways that I say, God, you're the vine. What I do is not. God, you're the you're the source. Uh, what I accomplish today right. is apart from you. It's 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 not much. What you know, it, and I have to. It it, it helps me realize. Uh, you know, even when scripture says. Uh, uh, be silent and know that I am God. Um, it, it's it's this sort of like I am a human being, not a human doing. Um, and that's the thing that I have to remind myself every day that even though the, the society says, like, what have you done today? What have you accomplished? Yeah. I think that rehearsal of uh, when Jesus says, abide, make your make your home here. It is to remind yourself that I'm a human being. God is the one active in my life and 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 that kind of stokes the the flame of all right what is everything that I have to do today how does that how do I put that in my in right perspective That's a really great word John chapter 15 Jesus says I'm the vine you are the branches remain in me abide in me 
uh, and you will produce much fruit. And uh, I was just reading that, and it's such a good word. Uh, Steve, you've talked very openly before out on this show um, about where do we find hope, especially in the presence of death. And you've talked about, and maybe you can share a little bit after I read this quote, you've talked about just in your own life sharing the loss of your mom and uh, the difficulties and just how hard that was and just how do we as Christians deal with the reality of death? And so let me read a quote to you from Tim Keller. Uh, We read a lot of Tim Keller stuff on this show, but Tim Keller, well-known theologian, pastor for years of Redeemer Church in um, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. And uh, he wrote this, uh, Jesus conquered death. And we will share in his resurrection. That's our hope. If you don't have that hope, I'm not sure what you do when you are in the presence of death. You can let it fester and cause despair, or we can add hope to our grief. Let me read that one more time. Jesus conquered death and we will share in his resurrection. That's our hope. If you don't have that hope, I'm not sure what you do when you are in the presence of death. You can let it fester and cause despair, or we can add hope to our grief. Take that whichever way you want, either personally or people out there who are struggling for hope and the difference that the resurrection of Jesus makes. One one of the things that I was just compelled by uh, when I experienced my mom passing away, and and my father passed away when I was uh, young, and my grandmother and grandfather passed away um probably you know in the, in the last 5 years and then my my mother passed away 3 years ago and um so lots lots and lots of uh of loss lots and lots of um funerals to preach and wondering even whether or not I should yeah. have preached them um in the midst of uh trying to grieve and yet really wanting to be able to express um, what the person meant to me. Um, but one of the things that I just, I, I, I felt like that, that passage that Paul talks about, I'm, 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 I'm pressed down on every side, but not crushed. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, mm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm essentially flattened to the earth and yet I'm still here. Um, and one of the things that I, I mm. was convinced of that, that helped me get through was the fact that the thing that I needed, the deepest longing of my soul had been met in the gospel. Um, my soul's sense of belonging, acceptance and approval. And I think of, uh, of Horatio Spafford's song, it is well with my soul, uh, after he lost yes. his family. And I, I kept thinking when he says it is well with my soul, He's like, there's got to be something that, that he's identifying that is the same thing that I feel right now. It is it like the, the deepest longing of my soul has been met and somehow I still cry. I still go up and down. I'm still depressed. I still have anxiety, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I can't really explain that, but, but mm. it's because mm. I've been met the the deepest longing of my soul has been met i'm okay and um and yeah. so when when and then when you think of the of the resurrection and i was i was talking to my mother a couple of days before she passed and she said i'm talking to jesus and he's not hearing me and i kept thinking to myself 
Hmm. That if she's praying for Jesus to heal her, and and this probably came two weeks after she passed, if she's praying for Jesus to heal her or for Jesus to make her better so that, that she's not a burden on me, then, and, and Tim, this is what Tim Keller says, God answers our prayers the way that we would want him to if we knew everything that he knew. And, um, and in mm. Christ and because of the resurrection, it guarantees healing and it guarantees that things are going to be made right. And, and that just gives me hope. It, it, it gives me, when, when I think yeah. about my mom saying that, and she had, there was no like definitive moment of, of her coming to faith in Christ. But I'm just, I, I just, I, I talked to her about the gospel enough that in her final moments, the Lord may have, uh, have brought, brought that to, to mind. And even in her prayers to ask for healing that she's trusted in Christ by faith yeah. and, and she was healed. And so that, like that thought mm-hmm. I, I was sitting with, a, a a wife who lost her husband, uh, a couple of days ago. And I think that same thought of you were sick and now you're healed. And ultimately, mm. you know, you know, for those people that you go to visit in the, in the hospital, if their if their faith is in Christ because of his death, burial and resurrection, that the other side of life is healing. And, and that just, there's, there's not a better resolution to suffering and pain that exists in the universe. I don't care what mm. philosophy, what ideology, what, whatever you, you come across, that's the best resolution to suffering and pain that is out there. Absolutely. Thanks for that, man. Like, <clears throat> and Keller puts on here, or we can add hope to our grief. It does, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't take away the grief. Like you still grieved your mom dying. Uh, you still, the person you sat with this week is deeply grieving the loss of their husband or, you know, add whatever your story is out there. But the question is in the midst of the grief, grief, mm-hmm. where do you find hope? Um, and he, Keller acknowledges that apart from Jesus, he's like, I don't know where you can find hope. It's just loss. It's just, it's just pain. It's just, um, it's just grief, but that because Jesus has conquered, um, because he is risen from the dead, we can have hope and, um, and that that's a very real thing. Like it's not mm-hmm. a made up hope. This is a, uh, a very real hope. Um, this might be a hard question, Steve, but let's close this way. What would you say to somebody out there who's just not sure they believe that they're like, yeah, I'm going through hard times, but I, I think you guys have kind of made up this Jesus stuff or it's difficult. How would you even begin to answer that question for somebody? You know, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer. And yet I, I really go back to, um, then what's your answer? What's your resolution mm. to this problem? Is it random? Is it, is it because... Yeah. Uh, you did bad stuff in life. Is it, um, is life like Albert Camus said, just, uh, just embrace the, uh, embrace the absurd, like, uh, the myth of Sisyphus and and life is just you rolling a rock up, up a mountain and you just got to embrace that it's hard and, and, and it's frustrating. 
those are poor resolutions to the problem. And yet the, the message of the gospel right. is actually that God saw you in your situation and he did something about it. Um, you know, Jesus hmm. cries at Lazarus's funeral um, in, in Bethany. And, and then he says, Lazarus come forth. And then what, what we don't realize is that on the very next, the very next sort of passage of scripture is that he's going into Jerusalem. So in other words, it's like, he's taking in all that death has, has caused humanity and says, I'm going to go do something about it. And, uh, and so yeah. the thing that I would say is like, man, I can't, I can't give you the, I can't prove to you, um, that all of this stuff is, is true, but at the same time, I want to ask that person, how have you answered this question? And your, mm -hmm. your, your resolution mm -hmm. to the, to the question isn't better than that one. That's great. Thank you for that, man. Tim Keller, one more time. Jesus conquered death and we will share in his resurrection. That's our hope. If you don't have that hope, I'm not sure what you do when you are in the presence of death. You can let it fester and cause despair or we can add hope to our grief. A, po a powerful and much needed word there from Tim Keller. Steve, the show's about to end, man. Wow. Three full days. I don't know that you and I have done back-to-back -back days. I don't know if we've ever done three days in a row. This has been fun. I, man, I want, I want more. I want more. Right, well, we, we will do that. <laughs> we will do that. It's been a lot of fun and uh, grateful for you. If you've missed any of these shows where Steve's just been great, let me encourage you. Go get the podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. And uh, one more reminder. Uh, you are at Tell Them the Church, a stone's yeah. throw from the United we're, Center. We're Give us a website and everything. Renewal Church Chicago, we are just a stone's throw away from uh, the United Center. Um, we're just uh, a walk, uh, a couple blocks away from Rush Hospital, if you're familiar with that. And uh, you can find us on uh, sh uh, on RenewalChicago.com. Um, and yet we're on all social media platforms and stuff like that. We'd love to have you come join us if you're in the Chicago area. Yeah. Is that the uh, – I've never lived in Chicago, so you said your wife works at Rush. I know the general area – without giving your address away, is that generally the neighborhood you live in, or are you guys in a different spot? We're about 15 minutes uh, drive north, uh, so probably north. Three, okay. three miles north of there. I love that three miles takes 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I totally yeah. get it, but that that's funny. That's funny. Uh, all right. I want to end talking about leadership and pastoring. Uh, here's what uh, Ray Ortland. So Ray Ortland, he is, uh, I think he recently retired, but he's like Tim Keller, a little bit kind of a Yoda figure in the pastor mm -hmm. world. He's kind of a, a, a sage. He's kind of somebody, an elder that other pastors look to. And so he said this. The longer I live, the more I respect gentleness and the less I respect swagger. I just like hearing Ray Ortland use the word swagger, but he's holding these up. And I think here's what I think he's saying, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that the older I get, the less impressed I am by the pastor who's like, look at me. Mm. And the more impressed I am by the kind of the, the person or the pastor who's gentle, who's you know, meek, like we talked about in the Beatitudes, who wants to serve others and hold others up, who's faithful, he, he who fruits of the spirit, right? Love, mm -hmm. joy. And he's saying when I, you know, he's implying here when I was younger, I was probably more impressed with the self promoter. And then 
I was probably also trying to be that. But the older I get, the less impressed I am. Do you th- do you agree with what he's got to say here? How do you view what are the pastors out there, whether it be you know the people you work with or other people you look up to? What are the uh, attributes of the pastors that you most um, emulate and respect? Man, that's a good question, Brian. Um, you know, suffering had just changed my uh, view of of significance in ministry and mm-hmm. um, and knowing the who's who. And I I know some of the who's who. You know of of I guess the evangelical world. My my mentor, um, his Brian Loritz is is uh, my mentor. Um, and so he definitely knows the who's who I've met some of the, the who's who people. And, and I think, I think I've, I've more so become like less impressed with those things because of suffering. And I think some of those things come with, uh, life, like wisdom comes with years of, of life. And so that's, that's right. that may be something that, that has impacted, um, this particular pastor and, and so I have a hard time, you know, I, I think about people who promote themselves on social media and, and I think about my own mental and emotional health and well-being and, and how you, how do you become popular that, that you got a following and, and a, a, in a platform and do I, do I even care? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but at the same time, I feel like I got something to say, something to share, something to, to, that can, that can help people. And so, uh, I struggle, I struggle with that. Um, and so I do think that one of the things that we're impressed with, regardless of, of, um, where you come from is gifting. So we get really impressed with people who have incredible gifts. The things that I'm most impressed with, I think now as a pastor is somebody who has an incredible gift while mm-hmm. at the same time being a really down to earth person and uh, yes. being somebody who who can uh who you can relate to and somebody who's hospitable and and caring you know one of the things you know i'm i'm looking at a, a guy or i'm thinking of a guy that i know and um and many people around chicago know uh charlie dates and mm-hmm. um he's one of the busiest people hard to get a hold of uh people that that you can uh you can find in ministry and i'll never forget him calling me when my mother passed away and then showing up to her funeral um really in the, in the midst of that and just sharing with me some of the things that he shared with me and then his mother passed away not long after that and um and it was so meaningful to me that like regardless of of you know what you think about Charlie Dates I'm like he's a good guy man he's such a good mm. such a good guy and knows how to how to be um and some people are extroverted and introverted you know more and more I think I'm I'm you know more impressed by the person who's you know I I I, I really don't care for the people who are super like upfront in front of the big group of people, but then they have no bedside manner and no, right. uh, you know, care for, for being with people. I think that stuff is a little, a little frustrating to me or, or people who are treated as, as though they're uh, pieces on a chessboard for you to, to manage. Right. 
those things really irk me. Um, but I'm, I'm reminded of the people who are incredibly gifted and incredibly kind. Those are the people that always stand out to me. And, and I don't know, I just, I think that's important as a pastor. I, I like the way you put that because a lot of times in these conversations, we can start to put down giftedness and that's not the point here. I think we want to put down arrogance yeah. and I think we want to put down self-promotion. I think we want to say uh, the people increasingly that I like to turn to, that I follow, that I, I try to connect with, have a humility to them that says, I like how you put it. They're just normal people. Mm. When did we get in the world where pastors are like not normal people? And uh, uh, no matter how big, like you say, Charlie Dates, there's aren't, I don't know, there's only a handful, if if at all, people who have a bigger platform than Charlie Dates, at least in the city of Chicago. Mm. Uh, but to also be a normal guy is, that's awesome. Like, there you go. You don't have to agree about everything. You don't have to, whatever. Um, I appreciate that. And so if you're a pastor out there, I'd close it this way. Uh, look to grow in the important things, like the fruits of the Spirit, like humility, uh, yes, build into your gifting, continue to try to refine your tat, your craft and all of that stuff. Um, but don't do it uh, out of um, without thinking about who you are, your character, your integrity, <laughs> because that will carry you a long way. Well, Steve, this has been a blast, man. We were going to do this more often. You got Aubrey's on vacation. I have COVID. You carried us this week, man. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it, man. It was it was a joy, and look forward to it again. I'll send you some Taylor Swift songs. You can, uh, you can. <laughs> I need, I need before. to at least. I feel like for pop culture's sake, I need to at least understand. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Well, glad that Steve has joined us this week. As I've said, if you've missed any of the shows, go back and get our podcast. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, have a great evening. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.